Some of you may come from very conservative churches, and, and that's okay. Uh, we consider ourselves conservative. Um, yes, the kids can be dismissed. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to stay? <laughs> Why not stay under the spot where the glory comes out, you know? <laughs> As I was saying, some of you come from a conservative church. We consider ourselves uh, mildly conservative anyway. And we don't know how to measure that. You know, some of the more conservative people, when they are praising and worshiping the Lord, the the hands are here. And then some of the uh, less reserved and more outgoing, it's here. So the official Calvary Chapel position is probably here. Uh, But if you're okay if you go here, and it's not a problem if you're here. Just praise the Lord. (laughs) In Luke 24, I love this chapter. I love Luke's approach to uh, the resurrection because it is truly a a matter of the heart. And as we look at the first 12 verses here, we'll look primarily at uh, perplexity. And that is really uh, something that we all endure uh, and have to work our way through. Let's read together. Shall we stand as I read the first 12 verses? Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified? And the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping down, and saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You may be seated. This is the resurrection day that Christians celebrate. Jesus coming out of the graves, he promised that he would. Uh, It's easy to make this day, the resurrection day, like any other holiday that we celebrate with giving it much thought, but I actually think this is the greatest of all the holidays. It's the fulfillment of God's promise that he would fix this fallen condition of mankind through this coming Messiah. Remember, right out of the gate after the fall, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, and even though it would bruise his heel, in so doing, God would accomplish his purpose. You know, when you think about it, there's no other religion 
at least I'm, that I'm aware of, of the creator God becoming incarnate, who would live on the earth, live among the people he'd created, and then die to provide atonement and prove his love for his creation. In fact, as most other religions have no way of dealing with sin. They have no way of really dealing with forgiveness. They use works as a basis for salvation, which we find throughout the scripture is futile in approaching the holiness of God. No other religion has their leader rising from the dead. And so since the resurrection is one of our basic tenets of the Christian faith, it is the linchpin of all the doctrines of our faith. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then the Bible is just another ordinary book. It cannot be trusted. You know what? We're here this morning. If, that, if he did not raise from the dead, we're just wasting our time. And that is the truth. But actually, Jesus did raise from the dead. He is the truth. And this is what the angel proclaimed, did he not? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. He's asking a simple question that's very poignant. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Isn't that what the world is doing in their false religions? They're seeking something that's alive, but they're going through dead means. It, you, you've got to see this, this resurrection is a clear sign from God, the Father. He is confirming the identity of Jesus Christ as the almighty creator God. He is the one who conquered death. He is the one who reigns Lord over all. Romans 1.4 tells us in Paul's letter to the Romans that he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead vindicates the identity and the teachings of Jesus Christ. It, the resurrection demonstrates that the blood of Christ is sufficient to establish the new covenant and provide atonement and forgiveness for all our sins. When you think about the Old Testament sacrifices, and really in the Western cultures, I was sharing a little bit of this at the Passover um, Friday night, not, not the Passover, but our, our um, Good Friday service. As we look at those offerings, those five main offerings there in Leviticus, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the peace offering. All those offerings are there uh, for Israel to deal with defilement, to sort of decontaminate the worshiper who would be defiled by everyday living and sin. But those sacrifices would allow Israel to come into sacred space as it would come into the temple to worship Yahweh. And that's primarily what the sacrifices and the rituals were for, to provide that. But there were some sins that the sacrifices didn't cover. And one of those was adultery. The adulterers, man or woman, and both of them would be stoned. There was no sacrifice for that. But the wonderful thing about the offering of Christ, it covers all. Every sin. 
The blood of Christ demonstrates this. Romans 4.25, he was delivered up because of our offenses. He was raised because of our justification. So really, the resurrection is just a matter of the heart. What do I mean by heart? Not some, oh, these are such heartfelt things on Easter Sunday. No. When I'm talking about the heart, I'm talking about the deepest recesses of your being at the very core of who you are and who I am. This is our heart. This is the place that we make our decisions. This is what, where we develop our motives for living and for our, making our choices. And our hearts can be darkened by sin or they can be enlightened by the truth. Our hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the dangers of sin and the facts about sin. What is it? Sin always delivers less than expected. And it always delivers more sorrow, sorrow than imaginable. The human heart can burn with passion for God, burn for passion for his presence, but it can also burn with lust of the flesh that often leads to terrible bondage. We choose daily from these passions, passions within our heart. We choose how we want to live our lives. We've been given a great gift from God. We can express our free will. This is part of our makeup as imagers of God. We can open our heart or we can close our heart in expressing our will. It's our choice to believe and exercise faith in what's been proclaimed, what is written in the scriptures. We have a choice. We can choose to believe it or not to believe it. And so what is faith? Faith is simply taking the Lord our God at his word. If he said it, I believe it, though I may not comprehend its entirety, I accept it, and I trust him. That's faith. How deep, how far are you willing to take your faith? Will you only believe what you can totally understand? Well, that might be enough faith to save your soul, but it will not be enough for your spiritual growth. It'll hamper it. You have to get beyond your intellectual understanding. And with the convictions within your spirit, deep within you, just, I trust you. doesn't take a lot of Bible knowledge to do that. It just takes a surrendered heart. This is what we sang this morning. Surrender, right? It's all about surrender. So, to confirm that idea that it's more than, and it's way beyond the intellectual, consider the verses 15 and 16 of the same chapter. We aren't going to get to that. But the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were conversing and reasoning in their hearts of all the events that had taken place. And um, what does it say? Their eyes were restrained. They couldn't see. They couldn't comprehend. They couldn't get a grip upon the events that had happened because they were seeking it intellectually rather than through the eyes of faith. Paul, in writing to the Roman church, makes some powerful statements in regards to faith that I think are important for all of us. Romans 10, 1 through 4, his desire for Israel uh, that they might be saved. How many of you have loved ones that 
you know and want to be saved. Maybe there's people in this room that are not saved. Well, you just come to church. You're, you've been drugged to church this morning. Not drugged, but dragged. <laughs> all right, I'll go. All right, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll make it once a year. You know, right? What you need is faith to take God at his word. Paul's desire was that Israel might be saved. It's our desire that we're all saved. God, wants, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to faith in Christ. He said, I bear witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of, ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. In other words, in simple terms for you and I, we're no longer to relate to God on the basis of performance. Works will never give us grace to inherit the gift of salvation. We must relate to the Lord our God on the basis of faith, on the basis of trust, taking God at his word. Moses writes that the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. See the idea of making demands upon God. See, that's what the unbeliever does. That's what the person who is involved with works. They are demanding things without necessarily understanding that that's what they're doing. They expect God to do something for them. He's already done it. He's already provided it. You just have to receive it. The only solution is the solution for all of us. Simple faith in what Jesus did. But what does the Bible say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That, word, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For as the scripture said, he who believes on him will not be put to shame. You know, sin brings shame into our life. It's a shame. It's hard for our pride to confess our sins. It's hard to confess our wrongdoings to one another. And it's even hard to do this before the Lord, to admit that we're wrong, that we've crossed the line, that we've done things that we ought not to have done. And when we have done those things, shame covers us, the guilt and all. But those who believe on the Lord Jesus, those who have received it, those who believe in the gift of salvation, all that shame is washed away. I've committed great crimes in my lifetime, but I am cleared of that guilt. My conscience is pure now before God because of the blood of Christ. It's been applied. Never forget this scripture. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is an amazing statement. All you have to do is ask. Jesus, save me. That's what I did. Isn't that what you did? Lord, save me. Save me. It's not self-righteousness. You know, this is the idea about law-keeping. It creates self-righteousness, and self-righteousness is very blinding. It, 
it keeps us from full surrender to God. And so this particular Sunday morning is a special day because it was predicted by the prophets. And think about this, at least three times it's recorded. In the last days of Jesus' earthly ministry, he told the disciples what was going to happen, that he would suffer many things, that he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he would be killed, and he would be raised from the dead. You know, I'm thinking, what? 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 Did they not, are they, were they not listening? It's like my wife that wonders about me sometimes. Are you listening? <laughs> but it tells us actually in Luke 9.45 it says that actually it was hidden from them. They did not perceive it. And yet also that they were afraid to ask him. And so there are some things that we think we should know. We look back with 2020 clear vision and think, oh my goodness, how could I have missed that? Sometimes they're hidden and it's God's way of driving home a, a greater truth and a greater life experience for us. And we learn to actually appreciate what he does even more when we come to the knowledge of that truth. Those who believe in this miraculous event and receive the biblical account of this historic fact have a confidence, a hope that we ourselves are going to be raised from the dead. He, as I said before, he was vindicated by all his identity, vindicated in his teachings by this raising from the dead. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead then we don't have to believe a thing that he said. But since he has, this makes all humankind accountable. So do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that he rose again for you to justify you from your sins? Has your sin been forgiven? Are you confident that your sin has been forgiven? Do you believe that he's coming again to the earth? Where's your heart? What's the state of your heart? Is it deep within your soul? Does this truth resonate? Have you made up your mind? Are you divided? How many people still like, well, you know, I kind of want to surrender to God, but I kind of like, maybe when I get older, don't do that. God's plan for your life could is so much richer, deeper, fuller, and a great much greater of a blessing than you could ever and we could ever imagine. Surrender completely. The sooner the better. You have to choose. It's your choice. Let's unpack this a little bit more as we look at the word here, perplexed. It says that as they come upon the sight of the tomb, the stone had been rolled away, and then they went in and did not find the body. Now, perplex is an interesting word, and I wanted to spend some time on it because I think this is something that we all have to deal with in our lives. The word means to be entirely at a loss, uh, to be without a way, uh, be in situations of tremendous uncertainty. And... Uh, 
we all experience this from time to time in the trials of life that we go through, and we're simply just puzzled by them a lot of times. And I actually think this is the state of the unbeliever, that they're puzzled by God and his silence. Where is he? If he was really here, you know, if I could just see him. Well, this word is used about Herod. Back in chapter 9, verse 7, Herod was perplexed about John the Baptist. You know, who is this guy doing all these works? I, I put John to, to death. I mean, who's this guy? He couldn't figure it out. He was puzzled. He never did figure it out, did he? Even when Jesus was standing before him, he didn't recognize him. He didn't understand who was before him. It's used in Luke twenty-one twenty-five for the end times. As we read, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The uncertainties that are in the world today, we're facing them today, the last three years for sure, has filled our life and our world with lots of uncertainty. It appears we have the inmates running the asylum out of D.C. You know what the definition of Washington, D.C., I, I assume you understand what that is, is 20 square miles surrounded by reality. <laughs> and uh, you just kind of wonder what this ungodly administration is uh, going to try to pull off next, you know. This uh, present trial of psychological warfare has pushed many to great lengths of uncertainty. We're faced with circumstances that are beyond our control. We're forced to make decisions. We're forced to choose our path. And we can either choose to fret and worry or we can exercise our free will to just simply trust God, which is the way we should go. There's, well, I would say most of us are not in favor of the government making our personal decisions for our lives. And in reality, when you think about it, there's not much in our world that we really can control. Really, it's only our personal choices that we can control and that we are accountable for. You know, as the builder of projects, I can confess that uh, they rarely come out as I plan them. I get the work done, but it never quite happens the way I initially envision it or plan it to happen. Because things happen. There are a lot of moving parts, just like our lives. We have expectations. We have plans. One of the things we don't plan for is suffering. We don't expect, well, when we accept Jesus, everything's going to be great. Finally, I'm no longer a slave to the world and to sin, and I'm free, only to find out that people hate my guts now. <laughs> they used to put up with me. Now they totally reject me, you know. Suffering is not something we expect from life. It's not something we plan for. We, in fact, we do everything we can to avoid it, do we not? Living in a sin-cursed world subjects us to 
this temporary vanity, this suffering. One of these days, the curse is going to be lifted. What a great day that's going to be. It's going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We're not greater than our master. If he suffered, shall we not also suffer for righteousness' sake? We shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us because it first hated him. The persecution of the church has never ceased from the day of Pentecost until this very day it's happening around the world. Christians are being persecuted. We have it now. It's in a verbal form. It's, we see what happened not too long ago in Tennessee. I mean, it's subtle. It's there. It's not being reported. We're not to be surprised by this. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Isn't he a great coach? <laughs> well, this is our lot as Christians. In life we're going to experience. Paul related this to the Corinthians church and he put it this way. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This awesome gift of salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. Do you think of a greater gift to possess in this life than God himself. In fact is, we've talked about sacred space and that being the tabernacle area where the priest and you came into the court to worship Yahweh. That was sacred space. What are we now? Are we not the temple of the Lord? Are not you, as a believer, sacred space? Are you not the apple of his eye? Is he not watching over you? Oh yeah. Someone damages you, persecutes you, you might as well be poking God in the eye and he's very patient, but he will recompense. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but in places where it looks like there's no way out. How is this going to work out? I don't get this. Lord, I'm puzzled. But we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. One of the things that Paul learned in his sufferings was that the more he lost control of his life and endured what he was subjected to, the more grace he received. The more life of the Holy Spirit that was imparted to him, the more we die in Christ, the more we live in Christ. And that is the kingdom way. These times that we're living in, we must become more and more men and women of prayer. We must put our faith in the one who has total control of the situations because we may look at things as being out of control, but we know and we always say, well, the Lord's in control. Well, let's make this clear through Psalm 2, 1 through 7. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord 
and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's why you're hated. You're so strict. You're so legalistic. Holier than thou. You know, all kinds of, because they don't realize the reason we don't do that is not to find salvation, is that we just don't, we love God and we don't want to offend him when we'll be obedient to him. That's all it is. They can't see that. They don't like self-control that we exercise their bonds. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And yet, he says, I have sent my king on my holy hill in Zion and he will declare the decree. You think that God isn't paying attention? It says here he will distress them in his deep displeasure. You think the Lord is happy? He's okay with what's going on? Just because he is not acting as though we would like him to, trust me. In fact, I kind of like the Old Testament way sometimes, if you know what I'm talking about. They just broke out the sword and they just took, went to battle, right? We're taking this out. No. You know, that's not how it's working these days, right? But God will take care of it. And that's really what the Lord says. Look, people, children, I got this. I got this. I'm going to take care of this. He will. That's his promise. And we must surrender those expectations that we have of him. Because you see, that was what was going on here. They had expectations, didn't they? This is what led to some of their perplexity. They thought, well, we're just going to finish what the guys started on, you know, after the crucifixion and Joseph and, you know, wrapped him in clothes and did the best they could because they were in a rush. But, you know, we're going to finish the job. We're going to make sure Jesus was buried properly with all the ointments and follow our traditions. So they're expecting to deal with the stone. They're expecting to find a body. Neither one of them were there. See, they had expectations, and that's what led their, to their perplexity. That's what leads to ours. We have expectations. We have to learn to surrender those to God. That is our choice. Hmm. You know, in our annual visit to the gospel presentations of the resurrection of Jesus, we're reading this historical event without much emotion. But could you imagine, just try to put yourself in their sandals for a moment. Can you imagine what, you know, Thursday or Friday that he was crucified, laid in the tomb, and those days between that moment and the resurrection, and how down, I mean, the disciples were locked in a room like they are next. They are, feared for, they are fearing for their lives. The women who followed him and those who ministered to him, they were just broken and downcast without hope. How could this have happened? Oh, what was their problem? Well, what, did, what did they see in the tomb? What do you see in death? Because that's what they were staring at. We all have to face this issue. We all have to face the tomb. We all have to face death. 
How often do you think about it? Probably the older you get, the more you think about it because you become more in touch with your, you know, mortality. You know, it's, nobody's getting out of here alive, right? We're all going to have the sting of death. And remember, it's just a sting. It doesn't last that long compared to eternity. We have thoughts about the resurrection. What's it really like? What's it gonna, when's that going to happen, you know? We have thoughts about the will of God. Am I really doing what God wants me to do? What about the direction? Am I, am I going the right way? Am I without a way? <laughs> what about forgiveness? Have I been forgiven? Have I forgiven others that have offended me? See, these are important things. To think about eternity is important. You know, a lot of times we can trust God for all that and save our soul, but what about the, the day-to-day things, you know? It's kind of weird how we are in that regard. We should not be perplexed about the resurrection of the dead, but many people are, and they're afraid to die. fact is, Job calls this the king of terrors, death. What lies beyond the grave? The Sadducees in Jesus' day didn't believe in the resurrection. They were sort of like the agnostics today. You know, when you close your eyes for the last time, that's it. You cease to exist. I love the simple, basic logic that Jesus brought to them because they were ignorant of the scriptures. They were in a position that they shouldn't have been, but they were. He said to them in Mark 12, 26, concerning the dead that rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, the God of the living. And therefore you are greatly mistaken, and thus they were. Sometimes the best way to handle skeptics and those who persecute you and are mean to you, just simple, give them the word of God. Simple answer from the scriptures, simple logic. Death and judgment are going to happen as it is appointed unto man once to die, then after this, the judgment. Therefore, living by faith is required by us. We often fear what we don't understand, but we don't have to understand what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. We just have to trust the one who has us in his hands. We're his. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. We belong to him. We don't have to be without a way. We don't have to live a life of uncertainty. God has called us to peace. And see, they were afraid of the supernatural. Says, as soon as the angels, these two shiny, shiny guys, <laughs> whoa, dirt, face in the dirt, shaking, no doubt. We're intimidated by the supernatural. We don't need to be afraid. And really, it's because they had forgotten. It's because they had forgotten what Jesus told them. Didn't he tell you when you were in Galilee that this was what was going to happen? Why do we fear? Why do we get all worked up about stuff? Is it not because we forget the word of God? 
Well, that applies to other people, but it doesn't apply to my situation because, you know, well, I'm special. I'm not sure why we do that, but we become fearful when we're out, things are out of our control or if we begin to entertain the supernatural. It's above us and beyond us. You know, learn to give our expectations to God. These ladies may have been there to finish the job that Joseph of Arimathea started, but God sort of put, turned that around. You guys are there to minister to me. Well, I'm here to minister to you, says the Lord. Look, touch me. Later on, handle me. Hey, I like the end of this chapter. You got anything to eat? Don't you just love that? Jesus just comes into the room, you know. You know, they're just scared to death. The supernatural, right? They're shaking. Peace. Touch me. He says, handle me. Right? I have flesh and bone, which is kind of interesting when we think about our glorified bodies, right? And then to... Just to put it all, you know, the, the hands, the scars, they're there. And they're still like, okay, got anything to eat? The fish in the honeycomb. Oh, well, yeah. You know, so something about eating with the Lord, it kind of calms people down, I guess, right? <laughs> I think that's an important thing to remember. You think of the, what tone in which he would have said those things peace. It's okay, man. It's okay. Hey, you got anything to eat? I'm sure they ate so often together for three years. And this is kind of like old times when I, guess what? I got out. This is a glorified body. Kind of cool to walk through in and out of closed doors, isn't it? Without opening them. Yeah. Can I have one of those? <laughs> you know. Great. Oh, you can close with this here. Peter, he hears the women. Now, unfortunately, in that time period, the men didn't listen real well to the women. They were kind of like looked down upon in that sense that they're a little emotional, you know. Whatever reason. And yet Jesus had, he raised the level, the level that they have honored that they should have always had among men. They were the ones that were there. They were the ones that were sensitive to the Lord. They're the ones that brought the message of, and reported it back. And yet they thought it was idle tales. This nonsense, those you know, eye-rolling material, right? There's a lot of people that are skeptical. You might have your relatives that are skeptical of Christian. They look to the church and the church of Jesus Christ and expect people to be without sin. You know, it's interesting that God doesn't expect his church to be perfect. That's why he made provisions for us. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. 
He doesn't want us to deny those mistakes. He doesn't want us to be hypocritical about it. He's made provision for that. He expects us to be honest and confess and humble ourselves before him and to, to, to ask for forgiveness when we offend others. He expects us to work through our issues and not become embittered. See, when that is in place in the church, then those that are skeptic always have to shut their mouth. They, when they see the sincerity and the genuineness of our faith, then they know it's real. And that's important. There's a lot of people that were raised in a Christian home and they've turned away because they've seen the hypocrisy, they've seen the failure. And I think that's, I think it's very difficult to live the Christian life. Very hard. You're trying to live under the law and you're in big trouble. If you're trying to live by grace, you'll have sufficient see to make it through if you live by grace you'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome your sin we are overcomers we overcome we grow we change we're transformed you just keep at it you keep striving keep walking just keep walking we don't live in the past we all make mistakes we all fall short of perfection and God's working out the spots. God's working out the wrinkles in our lives. Just be careful how you judge. Because the judgment that we put upon others is coming right back. It's the same measure that will be measured against us when we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. How did we treat our brothers and sisters? What did we do with the gift of life? How did we exercise the free will, the choices that we were allowed to make? Did we choose to live our lives for the glory of God or, or for our own self-interest and for our own glory? These are the sobering questions because every time I look at the resurrection of Christ and the death of Christ, I see how much he loves me, how much he cares. But I also have a sobering thought that I'm going to stand before him one of these days and I'm going to give an account to him and there will be no excuse-making no, oh, well, you know, but. No, there will be none of that. It's pure, unbridled, and pure truth. His eyes will look right through me and see the motivations of everything that I've ever done. You know, as a pastor, I know that I'm going to receive a harsher judgment than some of you as a teacher of God's word. And God holds pastors at a higher level of accountability and it's because of the influence. How I can offend people or be used of God to bring forth his word. He's going to judge me and I know that. I, and I, you know, there's a fear and a trepidation. Those aren't words. That's a, that's a true conviction in my heart. So as we consider what God has done for us, in the person of Christ. Is there any reason we should doubt the love of God? That he would go to this extent. I was reading, and I'll close with this thought, I was reading about a doctor's view, and maybe you've probably read these things, of what Jesus went through from the garden all the way through. You know, you follow the path from the garden to the, you know, the judgment hall, being scourged, the walk, the carrying, you know, just the 
prayer time in the garden there, the hematidosis that set in, the breaking of the blood vessels in, in his temple, so just sweating blood. Think for a moment, this is God Almighty in a human body understanding exactly what he's going to be subjected to. And then to have someone betray him who walked with him for three years as a disciple to not only betray him but to kiss him the one I kiss he's the one and Jesus friend betrayed the son of man with a kiss why to you know what you would have done what men do we break out you, we would have punched him Jesus gets his blindfolded, spit upon, gets his beard plucked out. And then he gets his hands stretched up over his arms, his feet barely touching the balls of his feet, just barely touching the ground as he's raised. And then he's lacerated by a squirt, a cat of nine tails. His shoulders, his back, the blood vessels breaking bone showing the loss of fluids and then standing before them being mocked and ridiculed having a crown of thorns jammed on his head and then having to walk that via de rosa the way of the cross man I you can't hardly grasp that kind of pain For someone to say, well, if God is a God of love, then why does he allow all this suffering? I'm sorry to tell you, but that is the wrong question to ask. It's not on God. It's on us. Why do we, as humankind, allow it? He's delegated that authority to clean up this mess with his help. That's part of our job as imagers. But Jesus went to the cross and then late, as he said, you do not take my life from me, but I lay it down. God proved his love when he laid on that cross and he took the nails in his hands and his feet. And then he vindicated himself by raising from the dead. What an incredible week we've had when you think about all that Jesus did for us. Passover is an incredible feast. And resurrection, resurrection tops it all off and vindicates it all. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for reminding us again this year of what it really means to be one of your followers. Wow. You truly are amazing, Lord. There's no way an ordinary man could have done the things, could have endured the things, could have taken this path to Calvary like you did. There's no man that could have raised himself from the dead. Only you could have done these things. And so, Lord, we're humbled by your act of love. We're humbled by your extreme humility, Lord that you did not revile one time as a sheep was deaf, as deaf before the shears, so you were 
dumb and silent before your accusers, Lord. You didn't defend yourself because you had nothing to defend. You did nothing wrong. And yet you took all our wrongs. Such love. Such greatness, Lord. We worship you. We honor you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?